excited that I am able to announce that, that I believe that, that I look forward to that day, not because of my own good works, my own deeds, my own accomplishments, but because of who we are in Christ and that salvation that we have in Him. And it just can make us excited about knowing that He is coming. Um, this morning is almost part two of what we started several weeks ago as we discussed the ministry of the Holy Spirit on earth during the tribulation. Remember, that message was a response uh, from a question asked by someone in the congregation. Uh, I had mentioned something about the Holy Spirit being on earth during the tribulation period, and, and they were a little bit uh, confused about that because traditionally, uh, and not scripturally, but traditionally, uh, people have said that at the rapture of the church that the Holy Spirit is going to be caught up to, with, with the body of Christ since the Holy Spirit uh, indwells each one of us that when the church is, is caught up then the Holy Spirit's going to be caught up too. Uh, but the reason that has caught on traditionally is because people reason instead of read. And when you read the scripture, you realize that nothing could be further from the truth that the Holy Spirit during the tribulation period has a glorious, wonderful, powerful ministry during that tribulation period. So it is not the Holy Spirit that is restraining the, uh, the man of sin, the Antichrist. And that's what we're going to continue looking at this morning. Uh, someone else said, will you please expound on that further and, and go a little slower? And somebody said, uh, uh, asked me just kind of go through that a little slower. So that's kind of what the plan is this morning as we look at, at that uh, scripture. Uh, if you will, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. What an important scriptural verse this is in order for us to understand what's going to happen and folks again I believe that we are close so very close to this to this period but second Thessalonians chapter 2 let's start with verse 1 now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. We, believe, we call that what? The rapture of the church, the catching away, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by a letter as from us as that day of Christ or the day of the Lord is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. This is the scripture we're going to be looking at this morning. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. We learned a couple of weeks ago that the son of perdition uh, is, was, was called, that's what Judas Iscariot was called. He was the first one to be called the son of perdition, uh, the man of sin, uh, Judas Iscariot, we're told that Satan entered him. Uh, we know from the scripture that the beast, the Antichrist, uh, is also going to have Satan enter him. He is going to be charged 
uh, by, by Satan. He's going to be a follower of Satan. When Christ was talking about Judas Iscariot, he says, haven't I chosen you 12? And one of you is a devil, a demon. Uh, and so the man of sin, the Antichrist, the beast, is going to have that same uh, characteristic. And Paul is telling the church in Thessalonica, he's reiterating to them extremely important uh, doctrine, and that is the doctrine of the rapture, the coming of Christ, of him catching the church uh, away. Unfortunately, so many people believe that the, the one that is restraining, the one that is holding back that beast from being revealed is the, is the Holy Spirit. And again, that is not, uh, not the Holy Spirit's job uh, to do that. Uh, again, the Holy Spirit is going to have a, a glorious ministry, an empowering ministry during the tribulation. We talked about a couple of weeks ago that that is seen in Acts chapter 2 with the day of Pentecost. When Peter stands and he's preaching to you men of Israel, you men of Judea, he's talking to the nation of Israel that the day of Pentecost was a fulfillment of, of prophecy based on Joel chapter 2 and Joel chapter 3. So what Peter is saying is what was happening as the Holy Spirit was empowering uh, those people gathered, uh, it was a fulfillment of of prophecy in the day of Pentecost this is what was supposed to uh, to occur to take place and Peter tells them on that day that what's going on is uh, the beginning of the day of the Lord he said these people aren't drunk they were saying they're, they're drunk he says they're not drunk this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel and what the prophet Joel describes is the day of the Lord the tribulation period the beginning of that tribulation period so the beginning of the tribulation period uh, has the Holy Spirit empowering those that are to be alive during that day. In Acts chapter 2, it was Peter was identifying what was going on, but we know as we uh, further development is Christ came into his own, Israel rejected, uh, even, though when the, the, even though in Acts 3 the kingdom is presented to them, Peter calls on them to, to repent in order that the times of refreshing or the kingdom can come from the presence, the literal presence of the Lord on earth. And so he's calling Israel to repent. He's calling Israel to be baptized, which identifies them as a kingdom of priests. All of those things were taking place at that period of time. The Holy Spirit is going to have a dynamic ministry during that time. Christ talked to the disciples in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 about the working of the Holy Spirit, and that working is to be a comforter, is to be a paraclete, and the word paraclete has to do with one who comes alongside, one who comes and comforts and comes alongside, and that is what's going to happen during the tribulation period. So the Holy Spirit, he's not going anywhere during the tribulation period. He's going to be... Uh, be active during that time. But the God's Word tells us that there's not going to come, that, that except there come a falling away first, and that that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you of these things. Yet, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. 
So something, something is withholding the beast, the Antichrist, so he is not being revealed at that time or at this time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now holds fast will continue to hold fast until he be taken away. And then shall that wicked be revealed. Now, I know some folks say, well, it's not the Holy Spirit that's restraining. It's not the Holy Spirit that's holding fast. Okay, we'll agree. The Holy Spirit from Scripture teaches us he's going to be here during the tribulation period. We're not. You know, we're gone. So what is, what is it that restrains, and some people say, well, it's the church. When the church is taken out, then that's what's restraining. When that day comes, and it is referring to the church, I'm not going to have an argument at all with that. When, we, when I see you in heaven, and I'm wrong about what I'm about to tell you, and that it is the church that's doing the restraining, that it is the church that's holding back the Antichrist, the beast, from coming on the scene, and once the church is taken out, then the, the, holy, the, the, the beast, the Antichrist, is going to be revealed. If that's what turns out, hey, I'm all for it. I'm all for it, because I'm going to be gone. But I don't think it's the church. I don't think that's what this is referring to. If I am wrong... I'm, st- I'm going to be in heaven. You know, I, I'm, o- I'm okay with that. Uh, that still speaks volumes of a pre-trib rapture, which is what we believe firmly, firmly in. So if it does turn out to be the church, uh, that's okay. That's okay. But I don't think it is. What I believe that's restraining the beast, the man of sin, the son of perdition, the Antichrist at this point, and we talked about it, couple of weeks ago is the abyss the pit that that's where the beast is going to rise out of that it is that bottomless pit that holds him as a matter of fact look at john i'm in revelation john wrote it look at john uh, revelation chapter 12 revelation chapter 12 John sees the beast, the Antichrist, rise up out of the pit. Revelation 12, 7. And there was war in heaven. No. Yeah, Revelation 12, 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and and the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceives the whole world, he was cast out of the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. Now turn to Revelation 13.1, because that's the scripture I wanted you to turn to before anyway. Revelation 13.1. 
And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet was the feet of a, a bear, and his mouth is the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his, feet, his seat and his great authority. And one of the heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wandered after the beast. So this is the Antichrist. John sees this beast rise up out of the sea or out of the abyss. How do we know that that's what he's rising up out of? Look at Revelation 11. Revelation chapter 11, verse 7. And when they shall finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So the beast... The Antichrist that is able to kill the two witnesses that are going to be coming at the beginning of the tribulation and preaching the gospel of the kingdom that's going to, we're, it's going to be a revival like we have never witnessed before. We're, not, we, we're going to be in heaven, but the earth has never seen before. The beast, the one that rises up out of the pit, the bottomless pit, he is going to be turned loose on earth during that time. Revelation 13, one John sees him rise up out of the sea. What's interesting about that, and when you match that with Revelation 11, 7, about the beast coming up out of the sea, when you match that with other scriptures like Luke 8, 31. Remember Luke 8, 31, when the man that was full of demons and said, Christ asked that, the demon what his name was, and he said, uh, my name is Legion, because there are many of us, and uh, they asked him what, and they besought, when he was getting ready to cast that demon out of that man, that it was, was just bonkers, it lived there in the, in the caves, and he, he, was, he was evil, and no man could, could, could uh, hold him down, and uh, he was so demon-possessed, and Christ was about to cast that demon, and he says, what's your name? And he said, Legion, because there's so many of us. What did they ask him? What did that demon ask the Lord? And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. You know what that word is for deep? It's the abyss. It's the pit. Because it is the bottomless pit. It is the abyss that is the abode of demonic beings, I believe the angels that fell and followed Satan. Now, when Christ cast them out, he said, don't cast us into the abyss. That's their place. And when Christ, Christ cast them out, what did they go into? They went into pigs. They went into swine. What did the swine have the sense to do? They ran off and jumped into the sea where that beast is going to come up out of, but they went and cast themselves into the, into the sea. And first, 
first instance we know of, of, of uh, pigs committing suicide. That's an old joke, and, and, but that's, I just want to see if you're awake. But they, they did do that. Uh, that was the pit. That was abyss. That's where they, they went off into. The other thing about that is, what in the world was a, Lazarus tells us there were 2,000 pigs. What in the world is Israel doing with pigs? Was eating pork against the law at that time? Absolutely. Again, that's another clear indication of the heart of Israel during that time in disobeying, disobeying God. So here, do not cast us into the pit because they know that's where they're going to end up. That's where they're going to end up. Uh, in Revelation 20, look at Revelation 20. Where is Satan bound for a thousand years? In the pit, in the bottomless pit. Look at Revelation 20, verse 2. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loose for a little season. So, where Satan is going to spend a thousand years chained up is in the bottomless pit. Um, some people believe, and I think, they're tr I think they're right, that the bottomless pit is in the center of the earth. Because if you, to have a bottomless pit, there's no up, there's no down. I mean, there's, there, it's, it, it's bottomless. In the center of the earth, that's where the, the abode of these demons uh, are. Look at, look at 2 Timothy. Uh, uh, Second Peter. Look at Second Peter. Peter's talking to those that were scattered during the dispersion. Those Jews that had believed that in the, the gospel of the kingdom that were looking for the kingdom to be established. Look at Second Peter chapter two, verse four. For if God spared not the angels that sinned. And what sin are we talking about here? In Genesis chapter 6, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, the daughters of men were human. The sons of God were demonic, fallen angels. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to Tarturus, only place that that word is used for, the, for hell uh, is, is here in 2 Timothy, talking about the angels, casting them down someplace, down to Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, or reserved for judgment. Tartarus is no, is not, that word is not used in the scripture except that one place. The only place that Tartarus is ever referred to is in the uh, Homeric uh, writings, in the Greek mythology, and it was the abode of the Titans who had rebelled against Zeus. And so it came to be known uh, as the place that the, the Titans, the wicked ones that rebelled against Zeus, it's all Greek mythology, and we don't believe in Greek mythology, but all mythology had to have a source 
to, of, of where did that thought come from? And I believe it came from, from, from scriptural teaching that these fallen angels, that these demons have their own place. Remember when Judas uh, died and they talked about how he's gone to his own place? I think he went to this pit. The beast is going to come up out of that, uh, of that pit. So the word Torturus is a specialized and important place for us to remember, I believe, is the pit, the abode of these, of these demons. So what is withholding? What, what is restraining? What is restraining the beast? What's holding the beast back? Um, I think it's the pit. I think the thing that he, he is not going to be released until a certain thing happens. And that's what verse 3 is talking about, a falling away first. That is an event that's going to occur, and we're going to look at that in just a second. Um, so keep those, those scriptures in mind as we look at this. But another scripture that you want to jot down next to that is uh, Revelation 9.1. Revelation 9.1 it talks about in the fifth trumpet, there's an angel that come having what? In Revelation 9, the keys to the bottomless pit. And this angel is going to utilize those keys. After that, we start seeing the beast come up out of the, uh, out of the bottomless pit. So all of that is connected as we find out that something is restraining the beast, the Antichrist. It's what Paul says, verse 6 of Revelation First uh, Thessalonians 2. And you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. I think we need to read into that the abyss. It's the pit that he, that this beast that Satan is going to energize, he's going to enter into, that is holding him. Only, verse 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed. Only he who now holds fast will continue to hold fast until he be taken out of the way. Last week we said, uh, two weeks ago, we pointed out that we think that who's holding fast is Satan himself to his position in heaven. Remember, he's the accuser of the brethren day and night, that he has a place there until he is removed from that place. And I think when he's removed from his position in heaven is when the church, the body of Christ, is raptured out. We are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We assume our position in the heavenlies. Of course, right now we're there, uh, not physically, but we're, spiritually, that's where we're seated with Christ because we're in Christ. He's at the right hand of the Father. But one day the rapture is going to occur. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to take up our position in the heavenlies. And Satan, who has a position there, remember in Job, the sons of God came to the, uh, present themselves before, before the God the Father, and Satan was there. He is the Son of God. And he's not the Son of God. He's not the Son of God. There's only one beloved Son of God, uh, only, uh, and that's Christ Jesus himself. But, but Satan is going to, to lose that place. He's holding fast to that place until he be taken out of the way. He's taken out of the way when the church comes and establishes its position there in, uh, in heaven. 
Romans 16, verse 20 talks about the fact that we are, that God is going to bruise Satan under our feet shortly. When does that happen? When does that bruising come? I'm telling you, it's God is going to do the bruising, but he's going to use the church to take up his position, and Satan is going to be judged and and cast out of that place. And then as we read earlier in Revelation chapter 12, Michael and his angels are going to fight against Satan and his angels, and Satan is going to be cast down to, to earth during that tribulation as he energizes the beast. So what it's talking about here in Second Thessalonians, there is something that restrains. I think that's the pit. The pit. There is uh, he, there's someone who is holding fast to his position and... That is Satan, and we are going to be caught up. We're going to assume that position, our position in the heavenlies. There's no room for Satan. We are judging him. He's out of there. Keep that in mind as we look at what this falling away is. What's going to happen at that time? Keep this in mind. The first two books that Paul writes have to do with the coming of the Lord Jesus, uh, the rapture of the church. These people were concerned that they were about to go into the day of the Lord or they were in the day of the Lord. We talked about a couple of weeks ago how, how horrible that's going to be. Christ says there's never been persecution like it's going to be during that time. There's never going to be a time. Both Daniel and the Lord Jesus talk about how bad it's going to be during the tribulation. So the first books that Paul uh, writes, he addresses our exit the church is leaving and uh, leaving earth during the day of the Lord. In his letter to Titus, Paul says that our Lord's coming is called the blessed hope. Why the blessed hope? Because we're not going to be in the tribulation period. The theme of First and Second Thessalonians is that we are to comfort one another with this glorious doctrinal truth. The first, the first two books that Paul wrote con uh, concerned... Uh, our mystery exit. They were needing to be comforted before, self, before uh, any of the other books, uh, with Romans or Ephesians or Colossians or you know, any of them, the letters to the Corinthians. The first two books concerned the fact that believers aren't going to have to go through the tribulation and that there is this exit. And what does God's Word tell us to do in that case? That we are to comfort one another Comfort one another knowing this. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. See, he's already told them about the rapture and what's going to happen. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. So the whole theme was the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church, and comfort one another with this thought. You're not going to go into the tribulation. You're going to avoid the tribulation, saints of God, members of the body of Christ. You're not going to have to go through that tribulation. Comfort one another. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 
is probably one of the most debated portions of Scripture there is. People go back and forth on this translation. Second Thessalonians, and I think in order to understand all of this and what Paul was trying to get across to these people there in Thessalonica, to the church there, hinges on a translation of the word falling away. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Let no man deceive you. Evidently, somebody was trying to. We're in the day of the Lord. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, which day are they talking about? The day of the Lord. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Two things are happening. The man of sin is being revealed when an event takes place. This falling away first. Now, the word falling away is apostasia. Apostasia. Apostasia is made up of two Greek words. Apo means to move away. And stasis, which means standing or state. It means, it means a defection from truth. It means a revolt. It means a rebellion. It can mean a departure. It can be, mean to be removed. So this falling away here is apostasia. Now why... This word is translated apostasia, I mean, it's translated falling away first. I, I'm really not sure, because that really does not describe what the noun or the verb means, a falling away. It is, it's an interpretation by somebody, not, not a translation of what apostasia means. It's only used one other time in the New Testament. Turn to Acts 21. 21. Acts 21, 21. And they are informed of thee, this is James talking about Paul, and they are informed of thee that you teach all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to apostasia Moses, to forsake Moses. Only other place it's ever used. Now, there is a verb that's, that's kin to this, there's a verb that's a cognate of, of apostasia, and it's aphistomai, uh, and it means to depart. That's what, that's what aphistomai means, to depart. And a lot of people believe that that word, that that shall, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come the departure first, that it means the rapture. And I got to tell you, I wished, I hoped that's what it means. As a matter of fact, every translation before King James in 1611 translates that, ver that word departure. Boy, if we read it, let no man deceive you by any means for that day, talking about the day of the Lord, 
shall not come except there come the departure first. Boy, stamp rapture on that, and we're out of here. Well, I believe in a pre-trib rapture anyway, but I'm going to tell you what I think this falling away, this departure from truth is. And it's, it's not the church, the body of Christ losing faith. Hey, we, he's already told them in 1 Thessalonians, church, you're going to be raptured out. But there's going to be a rebellion. Every place in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, when it's talking about rebellion and it's talking about revolt and it's talking about forsaking truth, guess which word they use in the Old Testament to talk about those things? Apostasia. I think that's significant because there is a revolt. There is a rebellion. There is a turning away a defection from truth that's going to occur. There is an event, there's something that's going to take place before the man of sin is revealed. But it's, it's this event, this rebellion, this forsaking that's going to tell those who are alive and well, or not well, but those who are on the earth during the tribulation period, that this is the man of sin. That it's going to identify the man of sin. For that day shall not come except there be a rebellion, a defection from the truth first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Now, when you read all of this in context, when you look at all of this, the whole thing hinges on the fact that there are those people that are believing the lie. They're believing an untruth. They're believing something that is not accurate and something that is going to be in contrast to the truth. How they're going to know that this is the man of sin? How are they going to know that this is the beast, this is the son of perdition? You're not in the day of the Lord because this event has not taken place yet. But when this event takes place, that's how you know by virtue of this event that occurs, that this is the man of sin. This is the Antichrist. Now again, we're out of here. Church, we're, we're with the Lord Jesus. We're taking up our position in the heavenlies. We're right on that, correct? So what is this falling away? Now, I'm not going to go into all the different Greek words for falling away uh, or departure, but just know that every Bible translated before 1611, whether it be the Cloverdale Bible, the Kramer Bible, the Geneva Bible, the Breaches translation, all of those translations translated that word falling away first as the departure first. They all translated the departure. But I think there's a what there's something significantly that people are departing from that's introducing that tribulation period. And I think we get a hint of what that is in the book of Daniel. I think Daniel kind of clears it does it clears it up for me. So what is it? Is it departure? Is it departure from the faith? Is it a rebellion from the truth? Is it forsaking? What, what is that falling away? 
Turn with me to Daniel. And I think this is significant. I think it's something we need to understand as a church. Something occurs that identifies this man of sin, this antichrist, this beast. And that day is not going to come unless there is a rebellion first. And again, the word rebellion in the Old Testament was always associated with Israel's rebelliousness, their revolt against God, their believing a lie and choosing other gods, believing false gods, worshiping false gods. Look at Daniel chapter chapter 9. Let's start with verse 26. You know, this is talking about Daniel's 70th weeks and spelling out the Daniel's 70th weeks. And after three score and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off. That's the true Messiah. So shall the Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And what does the beast do when he comes in? He sits in the temple, he declares himself God. That's how we know that at least midway through the tribulation, the beast, the Antichrist, comes and and sets himself up in the temple, and he says, I'm God, worship me. And the tells us that the temple has to be rebuilt in order for that to occur. But the people of the prince, I believe that is the beast, the Antichrist, the little horn that Daniel describes in chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Daniel, that the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Here we go, verse 27. And he, talking about the beast, the Antichrist, the little horn, the willful king, and he shall confirm or firm the covenant with many for one week or for seven years. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even until the consummation, and that shall be determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Keeping that in mind, that confirming of a covenant, that firming of a covenant. Who's Daniel speaking to here? It it tells us in, in Daniel 9, he's talking to His people, to the nation of Israel, to the Jews. And he's saying that that the beast, that little, that prince of the people, he is going to confirm or he's going to firm a covenant with Israel for seven years. And in the middle of that covenant is when he's going to set himself up as God in the temple, declaring himself to be God. He's going to come out. He's going to be assassinated. He's going to be wounded unto death. Satan's going to raise him back up. The last three and a half years of the tribulation is going to be uh, the great and terrible day of the Lord. His wrath is being poured out. I believe, and really it's not so much what I believe, so be a Berean, okay? Just because your pastor says this, that's no excuse for you just to accept it. You study it and come to me and say, 
Preacher, I think you're wrong on this. Here's what I think. That's fine with me. We'll sit down and look at it. But back to 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, talking about the day of the Lord, shall not come except there come a rebellion or an acceptance of a lie, the forsaking of the truth first, and that man of sin be revealed. How are they going to know that this is the man of sin? What rebellion, what choice is Israel going to make that's going to allow the people that are on earth to know this is the man of sin? I think it is the confirming of that covenant. I think it's when Israel does something that is so horrifying, that is so bad, that it's monstrous when Israel as a nation accepts the beast, the Antichrist, as the true Messiah when they have rejected the real Messiah, when they have rejected the true Christ. They will not have this man to reign over them. And how that, that day, the day of the Lord, is not going to come until there be a, a rebellion where they are going to believe the lie. Remember, uh, he, he talks about believing uh, the lie. Look at uh, 2 Thessalonians 2. Verse 11, and for this cause, I think it's believing that lie, and for this cause God shall send them strong delusion or strong error that the nation of Israel, the, God, the two witnesses are going to be on earth, they are going to be proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, they are going to be those that are going to be believing and, and that the Christ is the true Messiah, but this beast is going to rise up. He is going to confirm a, uh, a covenant with the nation of Israel. They are going to, Israel as a nation, is going to believe that this, this man, this is the true Messiah. They are going to believe he is the Messiah after they've rejected Christ Jesus. That is the lie. And God's going to send them strong delusion, strong error, that they should believe the lie. When that takes place, that is going to be a clear indication that they're into the day of the Lord, the tribulation period. He's already told these saints in Thessalonica, You're, you've, you've not been appointed to wrath. You've not been appointed to go into the tribulation. You're going to be caught up to be with the Lord in the air, and so shall you ever be with the Lord. Paul is telling them that there is a true indication, there is a way you're going to know that the tribulation has started, not that you're going to go through it, but here's the indicator. The nation of Israel is going to believe that, that lie that this Messiah, or this, this false Messiah, this Antichrist, is the Messiah, and they're going to start worshiping him. By the way, you go to Ezekiel 38, well, 37, 38, and 39, but specifically 38. There is a battle that takes place at the beginning of the tribulation. And there is a battle that takes place at the end of the thousand-year reign. And it's called the same thing. 
In Ezekiel 38, you have the battle of Gog and Magog. And that battle is going to be waged when the Islamic nations come against Israel. And the, the Islamic nations are watching for a beast, for an antichrist. They, they have it in their prophecy that they are watching. They, are, they hate Israel because they're saying Israel is going to, to come forward with this, this false messiah, this beast. Now, and there's this too, don't get me wrong. But what that's, when, when Israel signs that covenant, confirms that covenant with the beast, that is going to cause the battle of Gog and Magog to take place at the very beginning of the tribulation period. So they're going to, all of this takes, it, it's all a big snowball effect that takes place after the church is gone. And as soon as the church leaves, all of these things are going to start taking place. And Paul is making sure the church in Thess Thessalonica, don't be scared. Don't be frightened. The day of the Lord hasn't happened. Here's how you know that the day of the Lord has not happened because that covenant hasn't been confirmed. This, this has not taken place yet. Then shall that man of sin who opposes and exalts himself above all that's called God, that is worship, so that he is God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what withholds that he might be revealed in his time. The pit holds the beast. For the mystery of lawlessness does already work. Only he who now holds fast will continue to hold fast until he be taken out of the way. I think that's Satan when we as a church assume our place in the heavenly seated there. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They are believing that this beast is the true Messiah and nothing could be further from the truth. And Paul is saying this is the event that takes place. And I believe it's when they signed that covenant. But the good news is, church, we're not going to be there. We're going to be raptured out. If, if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. If by faith you have trusted Christ and believe that he died for you, was buried, and rose again. My prayer this morning is that every person here and every person that's watching understands that there's only one way to heaven, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, boy, this is the day to do it. I can't think of a better time, a better day to do that than this day right now. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much for your word and what it teaches us. Father, give us wisdom to interpret. Give us insight. Father, we never want to teach anything in error. 
Father, this is so, it's too important. It's too important. Father, help us to be faithful Bereans. Help us to search the scriptures. Father, give us a clear understanding. Father, we're thankful this morning that the church, the body of Christ, is not going to have to endure that tribulation. Father, we're thankful that we are going to be raptured out before that great and terrible day of the Lord. Father, we praise your name for that. Father, I pray that every person here this morning knows you a Savior, that by faith they believe that Christ died for them, that he was buried for them, and that he rose again for them. Father, how we thank you for that plan of salvation. Father, may we witness to our families, may we witness to our friends. Father, may we understand the severity, may we understand what's coming. May we understand with urgency your calling on our lives to share the glorious gospel of grace. Father, may we be faithful to share with a lost world that Jesus saves. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.